Mary, and it was great seeing so many of you. Man, when Wilmington gave out a shout-out in that big house, I was wondering if we could carry it, and you did. That was awesome. Very, very special day. You know, um, I was pleased, too, on Monday morning to pick up the a copy of the uh, Lowell Sun and to see that we made the front-page news of the Lowell Sun, Sun last weekend. I mean, the Lowell Sun, the most prestigious newspaper in America, I am happy to say. It was a great day as we were making our way out, and uh, as I was trying to warm up, those tanks were cold. I was sitting on the steps of the front Lowell, just sort of soaking up the sun that was coming, radiating off the stairs, and uh, kind of basking in the morning with a bunch of folks, a few folks from Wilmington. And uh, a couple of them said, yeah, that was a great day, but I can't wait to get back to church next Sunday so that we can be together with our people here in Wilmington. And it is true. It's great to be here. Um, well, we are uh, taking a, continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, and today uh, each of the campus pastors have the opportunity to speak to their own campuses, to their own churches, so uh, I'm thrilled to be able to bring the word this morning. Yes, Faye, it's going to keep going, isn't it? We love you. Well, Rodney Smith was born into a gypsy family tent community on the outskirts of London back in 1860. Though Smith had never received a formal education, um, at the age of 16, uh, he became a preacher. As a matter of fact, he became powerfully used by God throughout his life. When he was young, he taught himself to read and to write, and then he began to practice preaching as a child. He got his start preaching the gospel at a London mission right there in the heart of the city. And he was noticed by the head of that mission, a man by the name of William Booth, who we know as the founder of the Salvation Army. That mission became the Salvation Army, a global uh, movement. Now, Booth invited Smith to come on staff and to be an itinerant preacher and an evangelist. And it was soon that, that uh, Smith's preaching became so powerful and so filled by the Spirit that it caught on like wildfire, spilling out of little, small little halls into greater arenas around London and England and Europe. And eventually he crossed the channel, crossed the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, to the United States, where he preached in America for years. Rodney Smith became known as Gypsy Smith. And throughout his lifetime, he crisscrossed the Atlantic more than 45 times preaching the gospel to millions of people on several continents. He uh, was invited to lecture at Harvard. He was invited to the White House to visit with the president. This unknown, uneducated man became a powerful force for the sake of the gospel. Few evangelists have preached with more passion and for greater effect. Tens of thousands of people came to Christ as a result of his preaching ministry. Now, there were many in his day who sought to replicate what was happening in his life. Many other preachers, other revival seekers came to him and, and asked him, what is it that, that allows you to be used with such power and ability and effect? Without hesitation, Gypsy responded in this way. He said to those men, he said, go home. Lock yourself in your room. Kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. And there on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. That's where revival starts. That's where God's Spirit starts to take hold 
That's where movements of God happen, within the individual hearts of men and women who are devoted and dedicated to Him. We can relate with those who ask those questions, though, right? I mean, don't we want to see more of God's work in our lives, through our church, in our city, in our communities? We're eager to see God pour out His Spirit in ways that capture us and catch us up in the good things that God is about. But Smith reminds us that it happens one heart at a time, one person at a time. During this season within our church here at Grace Chapel, we have we've started to sense God's Spirit moving and working. And we've started to sense from the congregation this hunger for God to do more in us, to do more in our hearts, to, to not do more or give us more material things or, or things of this world, but to fill us up with His Spirit and allow us to have more of God and more of what God has for us. And so for the few, these few weeks in May, we've put on, on hold the things that we plan to do. Um, and actually, Pastor Brian is going to be preaching two more weeks after this as well as we extend our time a little bit. So we're lingering a bit and allowing God's Spirit to speak with us as a congregation. And as we've gone, as we've made our way, we've been discovering a few things about what it takes for us to be open to God's Spirit's work in us. During the first week, we realized that it starts, it starts with prayer, with a sense of expectancy that, that God is going to do something in and through us, this prayerful expectancy. Next, we realize that it requires a yieldedness on our behalf, that we need to be ready to yield ourselves to God. Last week, we were reminded that it's necessary to have an unashamed commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are things that lead to the Spirit's filling our life. And this week, we're going to learn that the Spirit falls when we readily respond to the things that the Spirit calls us to do. When we are readily responding to the things that God's Spirit calls us to do. Now, each week, we've been turning to stories in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, actually, um, after the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. And we've been learning from those early followers of Christ what it means to be led by the Spirit. And the encounter this morning takes place just days after that, that powerful falling of God's Spirit at Pentecost. Peter and John were making their way a few days later to the temple for afternoon prayer. And on their way, they meet a man at the gate who is crippled, who's been crippled from birth. And he was brought there. He's been brought there probably every day, probably for years and decades, to sit outside of the gate and to beg for alms at the gate of the temple. Now, there were always afflicted people around the temple, um, and they came there to receive alms from the temple courts, and it really was the place that became sort of the public welfare office of, of their day. The people of God were required to give alms to care for those who were living on the margins and those who couldn't care for themselves. It was a way, one of the ways that God, through his people, met the needs of the marginalized. And so, but God's Spirit on this day led Peter to do something different, something remarkable, something unexpected, something out of the ordinary. Peter turns to the man as he's walking by, and he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And what happens? Verse 8 says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. 
What a sight this must have been. I mean, this was not a typical occurrence. We get so used to hearing about the, the miracles of Jesus that we think that people were accustomed to this sort of thing happening. But this was in a very unusual event and a very unusual event in the life of Peter as well. And I wonder, what was it in Peter's mind and in his heart and in his spirit that led him to do something different on this day? What was, what was going through his mind? I wonder exactly how did Peter know what he was supposed to do in this moment? How is it that the Spirit of God moved in his heart and prompted him to take this very different action? I wonder, was it, was it an impression? Was it a word from God that he knew that he'd received that morning and he went to the temple ready for it? Or did it happen right in that moment? Was it, a, was it a logical thought that guided him or was it a sense of compulsion, a feeling, an urge to turn in this way? And I wonder, was he afraid what might happen once he voiced those words and reached out his hand? Was he fearful that maybe the man wouldn't stand up? Maybe this isn't a word from God that I've been given to act in this way. All those things. Did he wonder what would happen if it didn't go as planned? Well, one thing is clear, and that is this, that Peter was prompted to act by God. And regardless of any reservations he may have had, he responded to that prompting of God's Spirit within him. He recognized the fact that sometimes God may ask us to do unusual things that are out of our comfort zone. Remember, this is the Peter who ran away when people just a few weeks earlier asked him if they knew Jesus. Peter was making strides in his confidence, in his sense of God's call. And when we are responsive in moments like this, God can work powerfully through us as well. Now, in this case, the man gets up and starts walking on his newly steadied legs. I wonder if you've ever gotten a sense that the Spirit is urging you or prompting you to do something. Maybe not to turn and to bring healing to a person, but but prompting you, as you've lived a life of, as a follower of Jesus, if you've ever sensed the prompting of God's Spirit to, to lead you to do something in particular, those little promptings within that sound like the Spirit of God, times when you feel Him nudging you in a certain direction or tugging at your heart to take a particular course of action, even if you're not exactly sure why it is that He's calling you to do that. Last week, as we gathered up in Lowell, we, we sensed God at work in this kind of way, in the lives of, of many people who came forward unashamedly marking their commitment to Christ by being baptized in front of 4,000 people. I mean, it was a remarkable time. Uh, I heard one follow-up story from a longtime GCer. Her name is Amber, and uh, she had invited her, her neighbor a number, a little while back, a year and a half back, to come to Grace Chapel, and she'd started to come. And at the event up in the arena in Lowell, her neighbor, Elise, came and asked if she could sit next to them. And so they sat together way, way in the back of the arena. And uh, then as Pastor Brian started calling people forward who'd like to come for baptism, something that we don't, normally don't do as Grace Chapel folks around here, spontaneous kinds of things that feel outside of our comfort zone. She's, uh, Amber said, Elise stood up, she turned to me. She had tears in her eyes. She handed me my, her purse and her jewelry and she didn't say a word, and she walked right by, and she walked down the aisle, and she made her way back for baptism. Now, after the service was over, Amber and Elise got together because they live on the same street, and they walked together for a little bit uh, for Elise to sort of debrief that experience with her. 
And debrief, uh, in that uh, session, in that time of conversation, uh, Elise told Amber that she had a sense right at the beginning of the service that Brian might call people forward for baptism. She said, I didn't know it was going to happen, but I thought it might happen. And she said, and I knew that if it did happen, God was calling me to go. He was prompting me to move forward. And uh, she said, if, if he does that, it's going to be an indication that what I'm feeling was a tug from God's spirit. And, of course, that led her to the steps down the aisle, down to the front of the sanctuary. And that happened for about 80, 85 people who came not prepared that day to be baptized, but for whom God's Spirit was prompting them. Now, the Holy Spirit works like that. He works like that in our lives through those nudges and those internal promptings and leadings. Romans chapter 8 talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work in our life. And in it, in verse 14, Paul says that for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And that word led is, is the same word for the leading that a shepherd does of a flock. And throughout the scriptures, Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd and that the sheep need to hear his voice and that they would follow him. And so the Spirit of God leads us like that, like a shepherd leads his sheep, his flock. The voice of the Spirit prompting us to take steps forward in our lives, following him as he leads. Now, there's a sense in which God's Spirit does this in a very general way for all of us, and, and in community too, where he leads us uh, throughout our whole lives, where he asks us to give him our life, our heart, our mind, our will, our resources, and very generally and sort of comprehensively, each one of us needs to be led by the Spirit of God in our life as we grow through the decades. But there are times when the Holy Spirit speaks specifically to each one of us, calling us to a specific task, to a particular thing, to a very singular step for us to take. And uh, often we'll find that these specific moments of responsiveness to His Spirit can become the real catalytic experiences for growth in our life. We, we think they might be a nudge that aren't important or a, or a move or a sense of, of leading that, that, that can be taken or left. But usually those are the places that lead to exponential growth for us if we are sensitive to the prompting and the leading of the Spirit. And as we do that, as we follow Him in those ways, we become more attuned to the Spirit's voice in our life. So these are the moments I want us can, to consider this morning. How does it work? How does it happen that we can be ready to respond to those promptings of God's Spirit in our life? Well, first of all, it, God doesn't typically speak to us in a vacuum. Uh, we hear His voice most often when we allow ourselves to develop a sensitivity to the Spirit's voice. The question is, how do we do that? How do we start? How do we attune our ears to the voice of God's Spirit? How do we ready ourselves to, to hear those promptings when they come? Now, just an aside, if you're here this morning and all of this sounds just crazy to you, then you're in good company. It's okay to, to find it odd, the, the fact that we believe that God, who created everything, actually speaks to us individually, and not just individually, but about particular things. So, we welcome you to continue to listen and, and keep your mind and heart open and consider if what you hear doesn't just have the ring of truth to it and maybe even some logic behind it and some reason. Um, so responding to the Spirit begins by hearing the Spirit's voice. How do we hear the voice of God's Spirit? 
It begins by us finding ourselves regularly in the scriptures. Finding ourselves regularly in the Bible. We believe that God speaks most directly to us through his word. It's in the Bible that we come to know what God's voice sounds like um, most clearly. When we read through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and, and we, we hear the story of redemption and the history of God at work throughout the world, and as we read the encounters that God has with people throughout time, we start to attune ourselves, our ear, to the voice of God as he's spoken in the past throughout generation and gen through generations. And so in the scriptures, we find most clearly the voice of God. And most, most clearly, we find God's voice through the person of Jesus as we find ourselves in the New Testament and as we read of Christ's love and his goodness. So reading the scriptures is an important place to start. So we do that individually. We do that in groups around here, in Bible studies and life communities. We take quiet times personally to spend in God's word. And we do it corporately on Sundays as well. Scripture is always at the center, at the heart of understanding God's voice. So we saturate ourselves in the scriptures to discern God's voice over those other internal and external competing voices. Adam Rowe, our youth director, led a youth group uh, activity this Wednesday night right out here where uh, he was teaching these same kinds of things, that we need to attune our ear to the voice of God in the midst of all the clamoring voices around us. Um, and when we do that, we can be led through the challenges of life. So he set up an obstacle course, right? And uh, he blindfolded some participants and he said, go over here and uh, this is going to be your guide. So get used to that person's voice because you're going to need to hear it when you make your way through the obstacle course. Then around the obstacle course, they put everybody else who are shouting all kinds of wrong directions for the people who are blindfolded. And that person needed to attune their ear to the person who was their guide. That's the way it is for us. And in scriptures, we tune our ear. We find a baseline for who, what God's voice sounds like. The second step is to, sp is to spend time in prayer. And these aren't linear and it's not one after another. It's all together. We spend time in prayer. Cultivate a rich and robust prayer life. It seems like we've been leaning into prayer every week during this series on the Spirit, and that's probably because it's in the, when we quiet ourselves and when we quiet the world around us enough, we can start to hear the voice of God speaking to us. The Spirit speaks often in that still, small voice. And sometimes we need to clear away the clutter in order to give God's Spirit time to speak with us and to give ourselves ears that have quieted long enough to hear and be responsive. And so in your prayer times, learn to pray in the Spirit. Let, let Him guide you into the types of things you should be praying about. As you pray, if you think that the Holy Spirit is impressing on you one thing that you need to be doing in a particular area, or maybe need to be praying about something else over here, then spend more time on that. Lean into those things and see what it is God might be speaking to you about that. And so when we're responsive to the Spirit at those focused moments, God gives us clarity and insight about particular steps he calls us to make. And as we move forward, that's when real growth in the spirit happens, when we pay attention to those particulars. The next is simply to be attentive throughout the day. Now, to ask yourself the question, what is God up to in the events and circumstances of my day today? Now, we are all a very scheduled and 
sort of planned group of folks here in New England. And we, we like to put some structure to our day. We, we look at calendars. We have our iPhones that tell us our appointments that day. Uh, some of us can't live without that because of all the chaos happening around, around us. You know, lots of family activity and clamor and all of that. And so we order our day pretty, pretty uh, deliberately. And, uh, and we like control. But, but here, what we're, what we're talking about is recognizing that God may be in, at work in and through the things that you have planned for your day. And it might not be that he's trying to move an appointment aside. It may be that he's going to show up at one of those appointments with you that you have with someone or at one of those activities. That, that there's these things called divine appointments where God shows up in a way that if we are attentive to it, we realize that this is far more than I thought it was going to be when I started my day. And God might be at work here in a very special way. My grandmother taught me this at a very young age about uh, the importance of being attentive to moments and uh, opportunities that come along during your day. Like Gypsy Smith, my grandmother was an evangelist who traveled uh, the country preaching the gospel. And uh, yeah, for her, it was back then in the 20s and the 30s. Um, she started her preaching ministry when she was six years old, started going on the evangelistic circuit around when she was nine to 12 to 16. And uh, actually, she came to Boston when she was 16 years old and spoke at Tremont Temple, right downtown across from Park Street. And uh, this is her on that visit. Um, she was there, Girl Bunny, B Billy Sunday in Hub to War on Flapper and Devil's Dance. Mary Agnes Vichestain, you did not want to mess with my grandmother. Uh, the funny thing is, these, these photos, she really didn't like the publicity shots that she had. She told me this in her older age. Um, made her look stern and commanding, but the fact is she had just an amazing capacity for love. Love for God that was passionate and deep and uh, desperate, and love for people, every single person that she met. She just uh, flowed with the kind of love that God gave to us. And she, so she was concerned about people's, not only people's present life, but e their eternal life. And so that's what motivated her ministry. When she was uh, raising her family, God, God sort of freed her from uh, the ministry of evangelism. And uh, so she stayed home to raise her family. But I lived with my grandmother during my, uh, all my growing up years, actually. Uh, she lived next door for a while, and then she and uh, her husband moved into our house while my grandfather died. Um, and, uh, and she was with us in our home when she passed away at the age of 92. But her love and passion for Jesus made her very aware and attentive to moments that might come up during the day. <clears throat> she was always a person always looking to be attentive to those appointments. I remember one time this carpet cleaning salesman showed up at her house when she was living next door. And uh, as the man showed up for what I knew was going to be a two and a half hour, you know, sell, uh, which is usually the case for people selling rainbows or what have you. Uh, I knew that he would have his fair share of listening as well as my grandmother shared. So about two and a half hours later, I actually came back. And sure enough, there they were, sitting on a couch in my grandmother's living room, all the accoutrements of the machine sort of splayed out on the floor. This man sitting next to my grandmother who had her hand on his shoulder, praying just fervently for him. And there he was just weeping because God was using my grandmother to touch his spirit. It's that kind of divine appointment. And it doesn't need to be as spiritual looking as that. Maybe it simply looks like taking some time with someone who you hear is going through a challenging time and saying, 
can we grab a coffee? Let's get together. Maybe you bump into somebody in the lobby who you haven't met and you've just been introduced to and you set up a time to meet a little bit later in the week. You never know what opportunities that might lead to. It might mean taking a step of signing up for some, something that you've heard about or, or moving in the direction of a particular need in the world because God's impressing it on your heart, looking for those divine appointments. And then next, we need to resist the urge to dismiss it when we start to sense God tugging at us. Resist that urge to dismiss. That, that we don't just brush aside or turn away from, we sent, from what we sense the Spirit leading us to. Honestly, this is the place where we limit our capacity to allow God's Spirit to be at work in us all the time because we come up with all kinds of reasons why this thing that God may be calling us to isn't really for us. We often come up with all kinds of reasons to dismiss. Somebody else is going to do it. I, I mean, somebody else could probably do it better than I could. I don't think I'm the one equipped for X, Y, or Z. Maybe you think, well, it probably won't make that much of a difference if I show up to that event or if I, if I have this conversation. Maybe you, you think, well, I, I just must be making this up in my head because, you know, this seems weird, the thought that God might be speaking to me to move in a particular direction. Or maybe you think it's not that big of a deal if I don't, or I'm too busy, or, or you get distracted. Or maybe you're afraid. Honestly, you're afraid to take this step forward. Maybe you're afraid that, that you won't succeed or it won't be successful in your eyes or whatever. Or maybe you're afraid that it will be successful and God will show up and move and it might mean something for you and your equilibrium as it stands right now. God might be calling you and nudging you to move out of your comfort zone. And when that happens, sometimes you give up some of your control to allow God to do a new thing. So resist that urge to dismiss. And then finally, respond. Once you've overcome that urge to dismiss it, just move right in and do the thing that it is that God calls us to. And here's the thing, when we respond to those promptings of the Spirit in some particular way, when we sense God urging us to take a step or to do, to have a conversation or to sign up for something that, mission trip or something that we thought we'd never be a part of, whatever it is, do it. And when we do that, it's like this. It's like we open the door, some small door that seems small at the time. But when we move forward and respond, it's like we open that door and that door leads to this wide, this portal that brings us into this wideness of God's love, his purpose, his plan for us, the, the kind of life that he really has for us. And we look back and we thought, wait a minute, I thought it was just doing this simple thing. But that becomes a pathway into the richer life in the spirit that God calls us to. It leads us to greater life. It leads us to understand God's love for us and for the people around us. It leads us to a greater sense of God's power at work through us and his purposes being made manifest through us. What it is that we catch a glimpse of is the kingdom of heaven. And we realize that we can begin to live that reality in our present experience. And as we continue to move at the leading of the Spirit, 
It becomes part of our life. It's like breathing. And our lives are filled with the presence and the purpose of God. But don't take my word for it. I'd like you to hear from one person who has taken a step just like that, who was uh, invited by her life community to join one of our partnering churches in Lynn, the House of Hope up in Lynn. And uh, Joyce DeSanctis is going to tell us some of her story. Would you welcome Joyce with me? Wait. I'm out of my comfort zone right now. <laughs> it wasn't my idea to serve at the House of Hope in Lynn. Our life community uh, buddy, Jack Chan, introduced the idea about attending church in Lynn once every six weeks. And while a lot of people in our group embraced the idea, I sat quietly and thought, I'm not doing that. I'll be glad to send a check clothes, food, but I'm not going to church in Lynn. Mostly because I really like coming to church here. It's very safe. I know people. But mostly when I was growing up, my father always said to me, especially when I got my license, stay out of Lynn. Don't go to Lynn. <laughs> Dangerous to go to Lynn. So as a result, um, I've avoided Lynn like the plague. <laughs> so the plan was, met, um, was made with our group to meet in Lynn on Sunday, November 16th, without Brian and I. And it just happened to be the same weekend that we were attending the Alpha Overnight, where Brian and I are facilitators. And we were driving home. It had been a, an amazing weekend. God really showed up. And I was driving, and I, I got this overwhelming um, feeling that we should join our group the next day. And I, I said it out loud to Brian, I think we should go to Lynn. And he, and he said, I Oh, you didn't want to go to Lynn. What do you mean? I said, I don't know, but I, I think we should go. Uh, we didn't tell anybody that we were going to do that. I wanted to give myself a chance to change my mind. Um, but the next morning, we got up early. We bagged up some sandwiches. We got some old coats from the basement to donate, and we map-quested our way to the House of Hope. We made several wrong turns. I began to panic in the car. We were going to be lost in Lynn forever. Um, <laughs> Later, somebody told me, this is what Satan does when you make a decision to serve God. Um, he instills fear and doubt, and he was doing a great job on me. When we finally got there, I saw some people outside waiting for their morning meal, and I was actually afraid to walk by them. I, I was scared. We got up to the door. Nobody answered. Panic increasing. Finally, someone came down and got us. Pastor Claire brought us into her prayer room. I didn't hear a thing anybody was praying for. I was just thanking God I'd gotten there and nobody had killed me at that point. Seriously, it's crazy. The church service was nothing like this. The first person to speak to me asked me for money. I thought if I gave him some, he would go away and leave me alone. Later, influenced by, I don't know what, drugs, alcohol, that person fell off of his chair and slept on the floor for the rest of the service. I remember Jack covering him with a coat and staying right by his side. Pastor Claire asked for some help in the kids' room. I went in there. There was a cement floor and maybe three or four puzzles. This made me really sad. Um, I used to be a Kids Town volunteer. I know what's upstairs. It's like Toys R Us up there. One woman asked me if I was coming back because she had not had a roast beef sandwich in seven years, and I had brought some roast beef sandwiches. 
Um, now when I go there, I save one, especially for her, in case we run out. We hear testimonies from homeless people, former gang members, talking about how God keeps them going from day to day. On that ride home, I was pretty quiet, just counting our abundant blessings. This was a reality smack that Brian and I needed. Um, it's, it was another side of life that we don't see every day. So since then, uh, we've served at the House of Hope with our life community six times, including Spring Serve, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, we, we took four enormous bags of donations, um, socks and underwear that this church donated. Pastor Claire was so excited to see us bringing all that in. It was amazing. Now my husband Brian plays guitar in the worship team, and I help serve breakfast to about 50-plus hungry people. We know people there now. We've made connections. I know people's names. A member of their kitchen crew now comes to our life community sometimes, and... Very recently, Brian and I decided that we might be serving there more than just once a month. We know that we can't change the world, but we can have a small impact right in our own backyard. My fear is now turned to joy. And I'm not afraid to go to Lynn anymore. If he were here, I think my father would forgive me. <laughs> and if you're considering getting out of your comfort zone to serve someone, do it. The, the blessing will be yours. Thank you. Well, you heard uh, Joyce and how she followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And at those points of resistance, and should I, are we really going to, is it too scary or what have you? You know what? It's amazing when we press through those moments and uh, take steps that God calls us to. The joy with which uh, Joyce shared with me, um, her serving and her life community serving there is just tremendous. And I've heard from Claire as well how much it means to them to have a partner at Grace Chapel and to have partners relationally in their life community. If you want to hear more about what they're doing over in Lynn and uh, you're interested in maybe being a part of it, uh, talk to Joyce after the service. You can also contact us back in the uh, lobby. Um, we want to continue to deepen those relationships and share that joy even deeper. Well, as we wrap up today, I want to point out one more thing from the story of Peter's healing the man at the gate in the city. And the thing I want you to see is this. When Peter responded to the prompting of God's Spirit, he was opening himself up to the possibility that God, that God was going to be at work through him. Now, I don't want us to miss that significant point and how important a realization that is for us. Now for Peter, of course, it was more than God just simply using him to heal a man at a gate. That healing was actually the fulfillment of a messianic prophecy back in Isaiah that the lame would dance like the deer. And so when people saw that man stand, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And Peter was used in that powerful way. But don't miss it because because of Peter's willingness to be open to the Spirit, God was able to use Peter as a vessel, an instrument through which God's kingdom purposes could be fulfilled. And the amazing reality is that God chooses to use us in those ways too. God doesn't choose to work around us or aside from us or in spite of us. He works, he wants to work through us 
One commentator makes the point of that fact. When, when God healed the man, it says Peter reached out his hand and helped him up. Peter reached out his hand and helped him up. Now, God could have, could have healed that man and just let him stand up on his own. But at the moment of Peter's declaration, Peter reached his hand out, and the man grabbed his hand, as if to make the point explicitly clear. The commentator Thomas Walker puts it this way. He says, the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. And so it is for each of us as we are re ready to respond to the Spirit's prompting us that the power at work through us is God's, is Christ's. But the vessel is you and me. We have the privilege and opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ in this world. So the simple truth we learn today about God's Spirit is this. When ordinary people respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God is able to do extraordinary things. Let's be a community of people willing and ready to be a part of that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you call us and that you lead us. We thank you you redeem us not just to be yours, but to be yours at work alongside of you in this world. And Lord, it means that we give you everything. Of course, it means that we offer you our lives, our, our homes, our, uh, our comfort. We give you our resources, all that is ours is yours. But God, we would, especially in moments when you are calling us to do something particular or specific, we'd ask that you would make us attuned to your spirit, that we might be able to walk with you and to be about the work that you have us to do. In Christ's name.